Welcome to a podcast dedicated to your mental health. I'm Bailey with the Recording Library of West Texas. Hi, I'm Christy Edwards. I'm the Executive Director and a therapist at Centers for Children and Families. Hi, I'm Melanie Size. I'm the Marketing and Development Director at Centers for Children and Families. Together, we're bringing you tips and tricks on how to navigate this thing called life. This is Center Solutions. Due to the nature of some of the topics that are discussed, listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to episode six of Center Solutions. The trio is here and we have a very special guest joining us in the studio today. We have Lisa with Reflection Ministries. Hi, Lisa. How are you today? Hi, I'm great. Thanks for having me. So introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about Reflection Ministries. We have a very important topic that we're going to discuss today. And before you think as a listener that maybe this episode does not pertain to you, it absolutely does. Sex trafficking is right here in the Permian Basin. And I'm going to let Lisa talk more about that. She started Reflection Ministries in 2016? Correct. All right. Tell us more about the nonprofit. We are equipping, we identify victims and we equip cities and we provide avenues of restoration for trafficking victims, not only in West Texas, but across the United States. We recognize them here, but if we find a program that's more suited to their needs, then we will transfer them to a program. We spent the last, really, the last two and a half, three years building a foundation, traveling the United States and and really trying to understand what does trafficking look like in the United States but what does it look like here in West Texas? And what, Melanie, what is sex trafficking? Let's, let's talk about the definition here and then let's dive into how to recognize certain um, aspects of sex trafficking. So we have uh, the definition for human trafficking, which is basically modern day slavery. It's the exploitation of men, women, and children for forced labor or sex by a third party for profit or gain. Uh, sex trafficking in specific is the action or practice of illegally transporting people from one area to another for the purpose of sexual exploitation. And some statistics from the Texas Attorney General's office are uh, worldwide, 25 million people are enslaved, 234,000 victims of of labor trafficking in Texas exist in Texas at any given time, Uh, And there are 79,000 victims of youth and minor sex trafficking in Texas at any given time. Wow. I think the the thing that it's hard to recognize when you talk about trafficking is these numbers are probably skewed a little bit. And they're based on individuals under the age of 17 Mm -hmm. is because that's what the law recognizes our victims. The minute you turn 17 in the state of Texas... If you run into the right people, you could be considered a victim, but most likely you will be sent to jail for prostitution or solicitation. So having a way to understand how to gauge who is really a victim and who is what we would what most people would say is a prostitute, they're all they're all victims because only two percent of individuals what mm-hmm. You would classify as a sex worker in the industry, maybe a contract worker. That's only 2% in the United States. So 98% of individuals have someone that is controlling them in some form or fashion. And if you have been trafficked since you are 9 and 10 and 12 and 15, the minute you turn 17 or 18, it doesn't mean that you go, I I think I'm going to change my mind. I think I'm going to do something else. When you have no identification, you have been addicted to a drug 
in order to perform, that's and one of the controlling methods from your trafficker, then it changes what your options are. And when most individuals are seen at least eight to nine times before anyone even thinks that they might be a victim, they're seen in schools, they're seen by law enforcement, they're seen in daycares, um, and in our churches, in our Sunday school classes. If you think that there's not a victim of it somewhere in your church, then you are not looking. I was my first freshman year of college. Um, I was barely 18, and I went to TWU um, in Denton and met a gentleman uh, just a few years older than me who ended up being a pimp. And so he drugged me um, and sold me on the streets of Denton and Dallas. So I never told anyone until 2016 when I disclosed to my husband and I always say, I always prefaced it with saying, you really don't have to be married to me when I tell you what, what happened to me. If, if it changes the way you feel about me, you don't have to stay married to me. I give you kind of a free pass. And I lived with the guilt and shame of, I should have known better. Um, how did I fall into that? Why didn't I leave? Um, but with the threats from him towards my family and showing up at my dorm every single morning, he would follow me to class then it just was, it wore on you. And so not wanting to disclose because of what you thought people would think about you. I finally said, I just can't live with it anymore. So I know that the calling for the reflection ministries and what we call the village has been on my heart for a long time. And we are establishing a multi-acre property that we're opening winter of this year that we meet individuals from crisis intervention and we step into the role of doing assessments from behavioral, psychological, physical assessments, get them to where they need to be, but then we'll hold a bed for them at the village, and they can live there for up to two years with us. We're partnering with Midland College, so they will take on the education aspect, help with high school diplomas, GEDs, advanced education, but then through multiple holistic therapies, fine arts, music, everything else, we want to make sure that we meet their needs across the board as they as we provide a safe and secure place for them to heal. And when is that expected to open? Winter of this year. Oh, congratulations. Thank, Thank you. you so much. For Thank you. Re- I know that you've worked really, really hard to get that established here in Midland. Thank you for also sharing your story. If you Can you tell us more about your story? I know that it's so powerful, and so I, I know that it's important for you to share that, that information. When did you come to Midland or have you, were you born in here in Midland or? No, I'm originally from Arlington. Okay. So I didn't, I didn't go far um, to Denton for school, but then I moved to West Texas in when I was early twenties, about 22. And I always say that West Texas moving here saved my life because it helped me escape. It gave me the freedom to heal in a different way, even without sharing what had happened to me. I was here with family and friends that really kind of stepped into that role of providing a safe environment for me. And you saw a need for a nonprofit to get started here in the Permian Basin to help victims of sex trafficking. Absolutely. I I really was naive enough to think we probably had um, resources here and really stepping out to say, what does it cost us? When I found out we don't, we, we met with, our team met with law enforcement and our DA and other organizations initially and just said, what do you see? What do you need? And understanding we have nothing. And when I say we have nothing, we have incredible nonprofits and wonderful people doing amazing things here. 
but we don't have anyone stepping into the role of meeting the needs of someone that has been forced, beaten, starved, and really raped. The individuals we work with are really forced to perform over 10 to 15 sex acts a day. This is a seven-day-a-week job. This is not where you you only do this one day and you get a free pass. They're moved from um, city to city, hotel to hotel, um, apartment to apartment. Every four to five days, we have a trafficking route that runs right through the middle of West Texas because of our proximity to I-10 and I-20. It's easy to move people. So our trafficking circuit that runs from the east to the west coast, but we also have one that runs the Amarillo, Lubbock, Dallas, and out to West Texas. We see a lot of familial trafficking where we see families that will sell their son or daughter, their granddaughter, grandson, even their siblings to pay rent, put food on the table, um, or just to make um, just to make a good living. It's $150 billion industry just in the United States alone. And it's very real in the Permian Mason right here in our community. Absolutely. I'm going to kind of play devil's advocate here because I think a lot of people just assume, oh, you hear about that in big cities or whatnot uh, in other places, but it doesn't happen in Midland. It happens. We have it in our schools, in our churches, in our hotels. It's recognized by city officials. It's recognized by school districts. And we just need to step in. We see it all the time. We have it in our man camps, but we have it in our hotels with the influx of money and people that can show up at our town for two or three weeks or a month, no responsibilities. And understanding and changing the narrative of what a victim looks like, but also what a buyer and a trafficker look like. I could easily be a trafficker. It's We have women on our circuits um, that traffic all the time. 67% of buyers are white educated men. 52% are married with children. And we see about an average of 11 to 15% being women buyers. And what are some of the ways that we can help identify people who are being sex or human trafficked? I have a list what? of some uh, red flags for child sex trafficking in particular, okay. um, which obviously can eventually translate into a lifetime, as Lisa has mentioned. Uh, children can be victims of sex trafficking. Uh, important red flags to look for are changes in school attendance, habits, friend groups, vocabulary, demeanor, attitude. Uh, sudden appearance of luxury items, uh, manicures that are not normally something you would see them have, designer clothes, purses, I'm sure a lot of electronics, uh, truancy from school, sexually provocative clothing, tattoos, branding, that's really interesting, uh, refillable gift cards, multiple phones, me social media accounts, lying about the existence of social media accounts. Provocative pictures posted online or stored on the phone. Unexplained injuries. Social interaction and schedule being strictly controlled by somebody else, like a boyfriend. Isolation from family, friends, and community. So a lot of these, I think, can also be signs of other issues. But uh, when you see quite a few of them together, there should be cause for concern. Christy, how do you let's kind of talk more about the psychology behind sex trafficking and how much it affects men and women what how do you even start when they come into your office 
Well, first of all, we're just glad that they've gotten there because sometimes it's difficult to get them in. It's difficult to get them to recognize the trauma that they've experienced because, as Lisa was saying, sometimes they're so brainwashed into believing that, that they have a choice. That's what, you know, I chose to do that. I took control of my own life, even though they did not. You know, they're very much victims. So we do a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, there's an excellent book that's called The Body Remembers. It's about sexual trauma. And we, we pull a lot from that book. Um, and it really is, it's trauma-focused. It's intensive. It's solution-focused. And what we're trying to do is get people to move away from that we call it stinking thinking kind of thing. We got to move them away from thinking that that was okay. Not trying to cram home that you're a victim, but basically just to say, without saying, that's not normal. Because the last thing you want to do is make a victim feel like, oh, now everybody's calling me not normal. But just to say, okay, healthier way of doing things or healthier thinking is this. So much like Lisa and them, they take them by the hand to, to guide them in all areas. We take them by the hand to talk to them about healthy physical, emotional, social, psychological um, behaviors and thinking. Lisa, how do you even begin to get out of something like that? How do you, how do, where do you start as someone who's, who has been in that situation? We, we recognize individuals and we are called often from law enforcement or medical providers or individuals is like centers um, that are on the front lines that really see that understand what is really happening behind the scenes with an individual. And we start with even um, at the village, we have uh, one house that is geared for just crisis intervention. We start out slow. They might need to come in and sleep for two weeks. And our first goal might be that you can get to the breakfast table by 10 o'clock in the morning because we, and we work on retraining sleep patterns and nutrition, and really just meeting the basic needs of life. No one should ever have to sell themselves just to eat or have clothes or have shelter. And so being able to just walk that journey initially with them and having a safe place to be, there's a lot of emotions that happen just in the first 30 days of being in a place, breaking down those walls of allowing them to trust us without even saying, we want you to trust us. It's easy for them to get in a car with someone. It's it's just easy because it's what they know. But being able to, so stepping into that role as a trust factor, we have to be very aware that we don't want to turn into their trafficker. We don't want to take them out of a setting and put them in another setting where they become so dependent on us and we've just replaced one mm. issue with another. So we want to make sure that we step into a role of healthy habits from the very beginning, teaching them a bedtime routine. This is what happens, um, you know, how to how to put toothpaste on a toothbrush. I, I um, had the privilege of um, being blessed with a, a young lady last year. Um, she was 26, but she had been on the street so long. It was just one of those things. She didn't even have a nighttime routine of being able to know how to put toothpaste on a toothbrush or how to put sheets on a bed. So walking them through the basic things of life is important just initially, just to show them that we care about them. Because that that has been their life. They don't they don't even know what a normal, you know, quote I say that in quotes. Life is absolutely. I have a young um, I have a dear friend that she is a survivor and she is a counselor. But she went to testify for a young lady who had been trafficked from the time she was ten to thirteen, wow. and she was very adamant about she performed over ten sex acts a day for six days a week. And this 
um, her counselor said, you're very specific about only saying that you work six days a week. And she said, yeah. So if you add it up, if you just do general math 10 times a day for three years, I mean, we're talking over 9,600 rapes for this one young lady. Talk about the physical changes that go along with it. But she said, I wasn't trafficked on Sundays because my trafficker went to church. Wow. I'm That's speechless. compelling. Yeah. How do sex traffickers or human traffickers, how do they find the people that they're looking for, the kids they're looking for? Easily. Snapchat is the number one predator site. But they hang out at the malls. They hang out at the schools. They befriend um, kiddos that may that are hanging out on the playground or, or they're by themselves. It's, it's easy to recognize. Then average age of entry into trafficking is about 12 to 14 years old, but we see them as young as 9 and 10. When you're trafficked by your family, the average age of entry with the first um, incident is usually around the age of 5. So when you look at 80 to 90 percent of, vic- of victims have been abused in some form or fashion early on in their life, then it changes their whole mindset of what they're looking for. I had a young lady that told me, she said, I've been on the street since I was 13. It was, I could wrap my mind around what happened to me at night in the, in the hotels, but what those men did to me, it just was not my dad doing it to me one more time. And so what you're running from, everyone wants to be loved. Everyone wants to be needed. Everyone wants a family. Chris, they can, Christy can tell you more about that because she sees it from kids that are just searching for someone to pay attention to them. We all want to belong somewhere. Sure. It's like I've said before on this very podcast, with the hierarchy of needs is that you need to be feel safe first before you can even become a fully actualized person. They're not safe. They don't belong anywhere. They're not loved. So whenever you get them and none of those things have been in place ever, you are basically starting over with this person to help build those feelings, you know, the confidence, the acceptance, the self-love, not the loathing or the I did this, you know, to myself, I deserve this or, you know, it's it's rarely, you know, somebody else's fault. It's human dignity. Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. So it's these are tough cases. I mean, for Lisa to be able to come and, you know, provide this for this community is huge right for us she has connections everywhere we're just local and but we're you know we're fighting this battle with her we're a piece of the puzzle and actually uh centers receives uh some great funds from uh it's a victim victims of crime assistance and those funds help to alleviate some of the cost burden for people who are victims of crime and which this very much is yes and, and i would just want to say this is how um stigmatize these people feel we have had this grant for over 20 something years in that entire time i've looked we've had two people that would come that would at least admit that they were human or sex trafficked they're afraid they want to come to counseling but they don't want to tell you that that's what's going on because they're afraid they'll be in trouble or that we'll judge or whatever else so it's we have a long way to go to you know destigmatizing victims of all kinds of crimes and like you mentioned lisa are they afraid that they're going to go to jail because they're going to be labeled as a prostitute? Sure. You only have, only 1% of victims will self-identify initially. It might take six months or a year before they actually even recognize if they're in a program that understands what has happened to them, not just in and out of uh, foster homes. or That's where we've geared our programs to meet from crisis intervention 
um, second stage homes and aftercare programs up to four years because recovery for a trafficking victim on average takes about seven years. We will be the only one in the United States that provides from crisis up to four years. We've done our research. We've tried. We have incredible partners across the United States, but we have less than 700 beds in the United States for trafficking victims. We just now have 72 as of August of last year. And the majority of those resources are geared for under the age of 18 because that's what the law says. And you can be reimbursed. You can receive money if you're under the age of 17 to go towards that. Otherwise, over the age, you have to prove that there has been force, fraud, and coercion in order to make sure that you can form a case. So building that relationship with law enforcement and medical providers to understand, let us go ahead and do the forensic exams. Let us step into that role. Put those things on hold while we form a relationship with this individual and put them in a safe place so that we can continue building that case for you to eventually prosecute. Wow. How how challenging that must be for a victim to, one, have to prove that this is happening when it obviously has been happening to them since they were very young. And when you mentioned the beds, you're talking about shelters within Texas. There's certain programs set up just for people who have been trafficked. Yes. Like we have a young lady that we were called about. She's 25. She's in a program in South Texas. And they have a home that has eight beds so that they can go in and have, um, she can be just with girls just like her, that this has happened to them. Um, And then she works through a program for a year. But if you don't provide education and life skills and job skills, what happens when you get out? You have to be able to provide something for them. Anyone knows that the first year of even being through any type of trauma or coming out of it, whether you've been divorced or there's been a death, that first year is so much of a haze. You can't plan anything in a year, especially when the majority of your life has been on the street and full of abuse. We can buy, you can use your phone and you could have a person delivered to your door within 15 minutes anywhere in the United States if you have access to the internet. We, that's faster than you can get a pizza in West Texas now. And you can pick make, model, size, age. And the challenge is to understand, buy or see a picture online and say, oh, she wants me, he wants me, I can pick whoever I want because they're selling a service. But we have to remember in the state of Texas, it's still against the law to buy and sell people, mm-hmm. no matter what setting we're in, even if they're willing, it's still against the law. But being able to understand what is what has happened behind that picture to to get them to that point? Um, because you see a lot of pictures in hotel bathrooms or in airport bathrooms or com- or um, convenience stores. Pay attention when you're in a convenience store. Is there someone guarding the? Is there someone guarding the bathroom? Um, do they not have an ID? Because we're talking about individuals that have absolutely nothing. There's no ID. They have the clothes on their back when they come to us. No birth certificate, no, no driver's license or anything else. So we have to start from scratch on on building a whole, whole new identity and everything for them. It's really pervasive. I know we all attended um, an awareness group that was hosted by, uh, it was at Midland County Courthouse, and different agencies of the government came in and and had very uh, frank discussions about what's going on in our community. 
And something that struck me in particular was, um, you know, we're all kind of questioning, why can't you run a sting? And a lady with the FBI, uh, one of the FBI agents, discussed how that procedure works, how they put something out to kind of like an ad that you would normally see, and how about 5,000 hits within an hour, if you can imagine that. And so, when, when you say an ad, like maybe on, you're talking about social media? Something or? like um, Backpage or different, uh, I don't know, websites that are known for this type of thing. And all this information gets passed around, of course, uh, among like people, like-minded people. And so it's very difficult for them to be able to sift through all of that. It takes so much time and so much effort. And then finally, it's just picking it apart, interviewing. It is such a process because there's it's such a problem. And by that time, they could have moved on, right, mm -hmm. to somewhere else. That's it's such a challenge, especially with technology nowadays with Snapchat and all that. Parents have no idea what goes on in the app world. And Awareness is a big part of it because, even I mean, it's wonderful. We have to help the people that are victims, but it's also important to expose what this industry is for what it is. It's huge, and it's happening in our area. And it's time that we did something to try to combat sex trafficking and human trafficking. We need to pay more attention to it as a society. What are some examples that we can do right here in Midland to help identify people who might be involved with sex trafficking? I would say be aware. You know, we had the privilege of uh, training several hotel chains to understand from housekeeping all the way up to security and management, what do you see when someone checks in? Um, are they wanting to pay cash for a, hot for a hotel room? Um, what happens in a neighborhood? We have a couple of ladies that have called and said, hey, there's something odd going on across the street. We met them. They want to rent their house out, but they want to rent a room per night. And there's a lot of beds. I think it's paying attention and understanding. Ask the next question. Um, if you see kiddos that just don't seem to fit where they are with that individual, are they, are they dressed inappropriate? I mean, it's easy to tell. If it's 40 degrees out and we've all got our scarves and gloves on and you see someone that is not dressed like you, then step out and, and ask the next question. Had a young lady, um, just a citizen of Midland, called one Sunday morning and said, I've heard what you're doing. And we ended up intercepting a young lady that um, just didn't sit right in coming from an affluent neighborhood in Midland. And it, she just didn't seem like she fit because of what she had on. So we were able to step into and provide resources for her. From your nonprofit perspective, what do you do when you get a phone call like that? We start by, we have questions that we ask, but we also ask if law enforcement has been involved. We notify law enforcement. We're, we're happy to always be on the front lines with them because most of the time talking to us goes a little bit farther than talking to someone that has a gun and a badge and being able to step into that role. The challenge is, is when law enforcement sees someone, they don't have any resources. So they either go to jail or they just let them go. Mm -hmm. I have to say for law enforcement in West Texas, they've really stepped up. Um, our DA here, Laura Nodoff, is amazing. And being able to step into a role of being able to provide um, probation avenues, but they'll go through our program without um, receiving additional charges. Oh, wow. And so... 
and understanding that they don't want to put them in jail because they see them as a victim now. So what do we do in the meantime before we open our doors? So I'm glad to hear that our police department locally has really stepped up to partner with you and vice versa. Have you seen an increase in the in the problem of sex trafficking, human trafficking since the the increase in population here in Midland over the past, let's say, five years? Yes, it's it's easy to um, hide in plain sight with trafficking, but with the number of people um, and the transient nature of the people that are in our neighborhood that come through our city, not saying that they're bad people. I'm just saying that it's easy to roll in and stay a few months and roll back out Mm -hmm. and be unnoticed. Right. We have um, one oil company that has um, increased security and has security on their man camps, which we appreciate, but it needs to be across the board so that everyone can't just put in a row of trailers and no supervision. And so really stepping up to what are our oil companies? We all benefit from the oil and gas booms here. We have a lot of things. We in- increase um, sales tax revenue for our hotels and our restaurants and everything else. But there is an obligation that goes along with it. It's securing your man camps, understanding what's going on, looking what's happening in our hotels, paying attention and and taking the next step. It doesn't take much just to be aware. Get off your phone, have a conversation, and ask someone the next question. Because if you think that there aren't servers in our restaurants that are being trafficked, you are, you're not looking. One of the things I want people to realize is, you know, in, in the 70s, 60s or 70s, it was all these runaway from home hippies that, you know, then provided sex for money for drugs. Okay. That's what I think a, a great mm-hmm. deal of people are looking for something the like that. The hitchhiker mentality. The hitchhiker is nothing like that. It's it's all the things that Lisa has said. So it is the awareness. Look at everything. Look twice. If something feels weird to you or looks weird to you, look at it. Ask some questions. We were blessed in October with um, FBI and the probation office were called about a young lady, but she was brought in by her family mm-hmm. for the oil show. She was 15 years old. Uh-huh. and And so... Just understanding, we were able to step in and, and help with a young lady that they her, she, her parents moved her into a very well-to-do neighborhood here in town. She went to school every day, and her dad trafficked her at night in a motel, um, and this went on for some time. But th- they moved here for the purpose of trafficking her because it's a lucrative business. And ultimately, if you think about drugs and how that's also a lucrative business, but once you... Once you do a drug, it's gone. It's not the same with a person. You can use a person over and over, and that's why it's appealing to criminals. It's easy to make a million dollars a year with three victims. Easy, easy money. That's astonishing. How many calls? How many calls does Reflection Ministries get a month for, from people who think that they've seen someone who might be a victim? We probably get. On a weekly basis, we probably get five or six, and then we probably get mm, two to three from agencies across the United States on a weekly basis saying, do you have a bed? Can you help us place someone? What do we do next? So if if I see someone that I think might be a victim, who do I call? You could call us or you could call law enforcement. Okay. Law enforcement, we're working together with them to be able to be on the front lines to make sure that that 
first initial contact with law enforcement goes a little smoother than what it has in the past. But we also have to follow the chain of command because whatever evidence we can collect right now, I mean, it it's important for later and we need to have we need to have those things in place. Plus, we're talking about people when you're about to take someone that they can make a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars a day off of and they can make a million dollars a year with three of them. It's a lot of money that you're taking out of their pocket. Mm -hmm. They don't go they don't sit quietly by, which is why we always talk about our the village being an undisclosed property for safety and security. So how can counseling help victims of sex and human trafficking, Christy? Uh, well, I think, n number one, it is just helping them recognize that they are somewhat of a victim, that they, you know, because they come in, they once again, I, I said earlier, they feel like they have some control, right? You know, I, I might not have a choice, but at least... Once I'm doing that, I just, I, that, they have to do that to survive. You know, I chose to do this, or I have some control over this, or I'm getting this from it. So, you know, what we, what we need to do is just get them in there. And as Lisa said, you've got to, first of all, make them feel safe. You've got to make them understand that they are entitled or they are, it, they have the right to expect not to be treated in that way. So, and then it's a very long, slow process because what you want them to do, you don't want a quick fix. You want them to get on the other side and to fully be able to put that, the thoughts and the concept into their actual life. You know, instead you can always say, you know, you're not a victim, you're a survivor. Okay, they hear that all the time. Okay. You but just, what does that mean? What right. What does that mean? You know, yeah. So I think what Lisa um, and her group are trying to do is it's the whole mind, body, soul. We are going to repair everything that is, you know, needs to be repaired, and then we're going to teach them how to be healthy and whole and to move forward. And that's much like what we do. It's just on a, maybe a deeper psychological um, whenever they come into the counseling. And I know that you guys are providing, you know, that as well. But it, we are it's trained a, in the traumas and, mm -hmm. um, you know. It's a form of abuse. Oh, absolutely. Ultimately. Yeah. So. And you have to understand that and you understand the triggers that go along with it. Yes. Because I say that my, my therapist saved my mind because harboring everything and mm -hmm. feeling like I always joke and say, I don't like people. And I, but when I finally got down to saying I don't like people, it's because I thought people didn't like me. And I put everything up in my mind to make sure mm -hmm. and boundaries and, and walls around me. And so I wouldn't be here today if it weren't for my counselor. So no, did she kind of notice some things that were going on and she, she brought that up? Did he, she? He. Oh, he. I went to him for um, something else for a, a death that I was of a dear friend and, and we, through the course of talking and just, you know, those things that counselors do, those mm -hmm. questions that they ask that you just assume them not ever ask. Mm -hmm. And, and he could tell that there was something deeper. And so it, it changed my life because it allowed me to address some of the creepier decisions I had made because of what happened to me in college. You also started, is it the Mila Project? The Mila Project. The, the Mila Project. Is that is that always going on? Is that coming to completion? Tell us about that. It's always going on. We started it as a fundraiser. We partnered with the Pottery. At the village, we have um, all of our cottages are built on a circle. So they open onto what we call Central Park, our main area that we're building a pergola. And the sidewalks that go 
to that pergola, we are painting flowers um, and putting running those in the concrete when we run our sidewalks in order for our um, survivors to see on a daily basis that this is a community that loves them, that's been praying for them and supports them long before they got here, before they even knew their name. But it's also the community that when they leave is going to continue to love them and do life with them on a regular basis and rejoice with them um, through continued healing. But the Mila flower is just a tile flower that we sell for $25 along with the paint. And it has a note card that you can write to a note to a survivor that we include when they get to the village and really just a chance for our community to be involved and, and do something that our survivors see on a regular basis. It's based off of chamomile, the chamomile flower that has been used on medicinal um, areas for millions of years. And so we wanted to just do something that really reflected um, life and hope. What are some words that you have, Lisa, for people who are involved with sex trafficking right now and how to get help? Find someone because there is life after trafficking. There is healthy and whole and a beautiful life after trafficking. And what are some ways that we can help as far as donations or just being more involved with your nonprofit? Um, we always want um, volunteer team members. We have a lot of things. We have everything from gardening to equine to health and fitness, counseling, um, group classes, culinary, all of those type things. But right now we're doing a big push because we have five cottages that we're renovating and we need appliances. We need to replace all the appliances. And so refrigerators, washers, dryers, and we would love to have gift cards so that we can, we have a, a Lowe's is donating some things to us and allowing us to buy it at cost. And so being able to, to maximize our dollar there. I would like to thank Lisa for all the hard work that she's done to bring awareness to sex trafficking in the Permian Basin and for sharing her story. Thank you for joining us on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. If you or someone you know is a victim of sex trafficking, contact Reflection Ministries at 432-553-0880, that's Lisa's cell phone, or 432-247-1099. That's a 24-hour hotline. You can also call your local police department. Visit Reflection Ministries at reflectionministriestx.org or visit their office at 102 North C Street in Midland. Center Solutions is a production of the Recording Library of West Texas. Post-production work is done by Bailey Hennis and Abby Wiggum. Content is provided by Melanie Size and Christy Edwards. Contact Centers for Children and Families at 432-570-1084 or the Recording Library 432-682-2731. Email Melanie with questions you want answered on the show at msize at centerstexas.org. That's M-S-A-I-Z at C-E-N-T-E-R-S-T-X dot O-R-G. Both nonprofits are on all social media platforms. See you next time.